Hi there, Monroe Missionary Baptist Church family. It's good to be with you today through the video going over the sermon for this week where we were in Ephesians chapter 2, really focusing in on verses 4 through 7. But we'll look at it together, uh, really starting in verse 1. I want to read from there and we'll go to 7. It says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. And so, uh, two weeks ago, really focusing on verse 1 through 3, which shows us our, our condition apart from Christ, which is dead. Our condition, our condition is dead. We are dead in our sin. And Paul went on to explain that in verses 1 through 3 about um, following the prince of the air today, uh, how how we live out according to the passions of our flesh, which really explain to us the fact that we we enjoy our sin, we we live in this sin, but yet we are also slaves to that sin, and we cannot get out of it on our own because of our condition, which is dead. It's not something that we can do on our own. It's not something that we can achieve on our own, and it really is a bleak picture. It's a bleak picture that we see in verses one through three of the condition of mankind in our sinful nature, in our sin nature, in, the, in that state. And there seems to be no hope. It really is a sad story. But then in verses, verse 4, we see those two words that we talked about uh, some that week, but more so this week, where it says, but God. And I had mentioned the quote from Lloyd-Jones uh, where he says, in these two words contain the gospel, contain the whole gospel message, which is a little bit of a, I don't know, not sarcastic, but a little bit of a stretch. I don't know if you could just go up to someone and say, but God, and they'll fall on their face and be like, yes, I love it. But I get what he's saying, right? God needed to make the move, and he did, but he did. But God steps in, and so that's when we get to our, our section that we focused on this week, and I broke it down really in three areas, and then the third area being broken down some more, and so we'll do that a little bit. It says, "But God, being rich in mercy, was the was the first the first thing." When you think about the word um, mercy, what comes to your guys' mind first? Maybe just even in general, not even from a scriptural or doctrinal theological standpoint. Just you hear mercy, what do you think about? Anything? Compassion. Okay. Yeah. Pity. All right. Anything else? The movie, is it Gladiator? Comes up for me? When he's got the emperor, right? He's got yeah. his thumb and it's like, what's he going to do? What's he going to do? And the yeah. crowd, you know, at one point the crowd is chanting, so he right. ends up putting his thumbs up and it gives mercy. Right. There's, there's mercy yeah. Yeah. that is given there yeah. um, to the gladiator down mm-hmm. there. That's something from a, like a movie standpoint that comes to my mind. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, anything? Else? I'm trying to think of like a movie illustration or something like that. But no, nothing. No, nothing. I don't have anything right now. <clears throat> but yeah, it's, it's just the idea of somebody who deserves to die. Like somebody who's done something terrible and 
everybody watching the movie wants that person to die. Mm-hmm. Uh, but instead of that, in, instead of what you expect to happen, the person is is allowed to live and has been is given mercy. Yeah, and when mercy is given, there's always a situation to where there's somebody kind of in charge and there's somebody lesser in the in the moment, right? Uh, and the person up here in charge or or I don't know, whatever that position is, is the one who has to give mercy. And this person is in a helpless state, but it can even be amongst equals, right? And so if if one of us did something to the other that was wrong, it would be up to the other person. who The person who was wronged now needs to be the one to give mercy. And it, it's put in this situation. And I also think it's important to say as we look at this, because the three words that we're kind of looking at are uh, mercy, Love and grace. And scripturally, it's really hard to see one without the other anywhere in there. And so when you're like crafting a lesson, a Bible study or a sermon, and you want to break these down, it's really hard to stay in your lane. It's like, okay, for this point, I want to stay in the mercy lane. And then I'm going to stay in the love lane. And then I'm going to get into the grace lane. That's really actually a really hard task to do because they're so they're so intertwined in scripture. But just thinking about the mercy side, right? We see that in verses one through three, we have sinned against God. And it's Psalm 51, I believe, where David says, against you alone, I have sinned. And when we look at David's background in that situation, many people would say, no, actually, Uriah, you sinned against, Bathsheba, you sinned against, the kingdom Mm -hmm. of the people you've kind of sinned against. But David is saying, God, I recognize that in my sin, I've sinned against you and you alone are the one who can Mm -hmm. give me mercy mercy here. Um, And so this idea of sinning against somebody just in general and them giving you mercy, but in light of verses one through three, it really is like a big task we are asking of God to give us mercy. Because if all these things in verses one through three are true, then to go to God and ask for mercy really is unfair. It's almost unfair to ask that of somebody to give mercy in that situation. Does that, mm-hmm. does that make sense? I think of what I'm saying. Yeah. 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 I mean, it'd be like, I'm, I'm trying to think of examples, mm-hmm. but I go into Spencer's house, unwelcomed. He's not home. Let's say I break the window. Mm-hmm. I go in, I steal a bunch of stuff. I trash his house. I steal his car on the way out and he finds out it's me. And then I'm like, Hey, you know what? Just let this one slide. Mm-hmm. That seems unfair. Mm. That seems like an unfair an unfair thing. But yeah. that's almost what we're doing when we look to God and say, hey, could you just throw some mercy our way? It's mm-hmm. like, no, mercy isn't deserved mm-hmm. here mm-hmm. in this situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it really is a, a big deal to ask of mercy. And so I think the question that would naturally come up uh, when you're reading this first, but God being rich in mercy, the question would be, well, why would he show mercy then? Right. What on what grounds is it even okay to ask of mercy? And on our end, the answer would be there is none. There is no ground. But this verse gives us the reason for mercy and where it's grounded, where it says, um, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, then it goes on to say, made us alive together with Christ. Um let me ask you guys, being Bible teachers and this stuff, how do you explain the love of God to somebody clearly in this light? 
in terms of mercy, our sin, but then the love of God shows up. How, how, do, you, how do you teach this in a way that even makes sense to somebody? If our sin is that great, we don't even deserve to ask for mercy, but yet because of his love, he shows us mercy. How do you guys go about that? I tried Sunday. Might have failed, mm-hmm. might not have. How about you? For me, it's, it's hard to talk about the love of God in that kind of context without alluding to the love that I have for my own children. Because in a similar way, like no matter what my kids do, at least so far in their lives, <laughs> uh, I still love them despite um, how ugly they would be towards my wife, who I love uh, dearly, or how rebellious they would be against me, how unkind they would be towards one another uh, or their friends. Uh, you know, when I put them to bed at night, if it's been a terrible night, I still tell them before they go to sleep that I love them and that I'll see them in the morning. You know, dad's not going anywhere, mm-hmm. you know, and I love them mm-hmm. still, despite mm-hmm. however much they've gotten in trouble that day or what they did or... Um, and so it's just that kind of thing where I think people understand the love that a parent has for their children. And so it's, it's, I think it's hard to explain it without that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You got anything? The most vivid example I can think of in the Bible is a passage. Uh, it's Ezekiel chapter 16, I think. It describes God talking to his people Israel and says, basically, whenever I found you, you were left on the dirt to die. Your cord wasn't cut. And he tells them, basically, I came to you. I, I took care of you. And then later on, you grew up. You uh, became a woman. I adorned you beautifully. Um, I took care of you. I made you beautiful. And you trusted in your beauty and didn't follow me. And you basically became uh, an adulteress. And he talks to it, and he goes, it's a very vivid and graphic description. God goes all throughout the things that God's people did over and over and over, sinning against him. And he says at the very end, you know, you're gonna, you've been punished and everything, but at the very end he says, I will make atonement for your sins. And I think that's one of those beautiful images in the whole Bible. It's very graphic, but it's there for a reason to show to us You know, the very first sin was whenever Satan got Adam and Eve, because God created the world out of love. Mm -hmm. He had nothing, he has nothing to gain. He cannot, we cannot increase his being or anything about him by making the world. He did it out of love. And then Satan tempted us to doubt God's goodness. And God's goodness is on display in redemption. That's the thing. But God who is rich in mercy, that's not describing what God does. That's describing who, who he, he is. is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's his character. And so we might be tempted to think God is good in creation and he's good whenever I'm a good boy. Mm-hmm. But what happens whenever I am completely unworthy of his goodness then? What will, how deep does God's, is his character that deep? And the cross says, yeah, it is that deep. Yeah. It goes so deep that he will kill his only begotten son for us and for our salvation. And so whenever our sin is in its ugliness, our whoring, our sinning against him day after day, even as Christians, we continue to have that heart that 
it still has inclinations at times to sin. His grace is so deep. Because, and, the, and the, the solution is, is not because God has anything to gain in it, but because this is just him showing us who he is. And I think that's the most wonderful thing in the world. God would tell his people in Deuteronomy, the reason I love you is not because you're great, not because you do a bunch of great stuff. It's just simply because I love you and I made a covenant to you. End of story. End of reasons why I love you. Mm-hmm. That's it. That's we it. we see it in the example of uh, Hosea, yeah. too, with who he's called to go marry a harlot, mm-hmm. and just the unfaithfulness there, but just coming back. And I think everything that we try to think of falls short. Even right. even like you said, the best analogy that we can come up with, I think, is like you said, us with our children. But even that falls short in trying to compare the love of God mm-hmm. that we have, because my kids have never. And I know some children have done this over time, but, you know, disgraced your name, said no, nothing to do with you, all these different things, you know, just over and over and over again. I would have to think probably at some point my mercy would run out, you know, mm-hmm. where it'd be like, no, no more. Mm-hmm. This, I can't. You're hurting your mother too much. You're hurting us too much. No more. We can't have this. Um, but yet with God, we just see this great unfailing love that he has. The Old Testament is a great place to go to see this with Israel. I mean, how often do they not obey the covenant and follow the covenant that God has given them, right? Just do this and you will be my people. Mm-hmm. And they constantly fail at that over and over again. But what does God do? Oh, he might discipline them and you might see these things. But yet yet again, but you are mine. Right. Right. But well, you, but you scripture says he disciplines the one whom he loves. Yeah. He right. discipline right. is love. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. yeah. I was looking at a Hosea real quick yeah. just to make sure I was right in what yeah. I was saying. All throughout Hosea, it's it's this judgment on Israel, judgment on Israel. But then you get to the last chapter and it's a plea for Israel to return to the Lord. Like there he is. Here's my mercy. Come back to me. Well, and come back to oh, me. Oh boy, the Lord goes to the like he uses he's stretching language. And he says in verse 3 or 13, um, oh, where does he say? He says eventually, is it there in 13 or somewhere where he says, oh, Israel, how can I give you up? How in the world can I um, let you go even though you've sinned against me? How can I let you go? And then eventually in verse 14, um, uh, of what? Of chapter 13 of Hosea. I yeah. will ransom them from the power of the grave. I will redeem them from mm-hmm. death. Oh, death, I will be your plagues. Oh, grave, I will be your destruction. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you know, in the very end of Micah, who is a God like you pardoning iniquity? And that's the point, is that um, I think there's always this suspicion we have. What's in it for God? Yeah. I mean, yeah. What's, okay. Your love, you're going to send your son to die on the cross. What's in it for you? Mm-hmm. And we, he does get the fame in the sense in which we praise him in response to that. But there's always this temptation to think, well, but what does God really think about me? He's doing this because maybe he's got to save face or whatever. And that's the amazing mm-hmm. thing of the Bible is, no, this is just who he is. Yeah, because that's all we know. I mean, right. it's fair to ask that question for us because that's all we know. Right. Everybody we've ever right. come in contact to, that's something right. in it for them, right. you know. Who is a yeah. God like you? Yeah. I, yeah. He blows the classifications mm-hmm. out of the water. Yeah. yeah and, and so when trying to think of God's love, I mean, my mind went to the passages that I read, mm-hmm. like in Romans 5, 8, which I think mm-hmm. maybe you read that too. Matt, had you read that yeah, in the Sunday, middle part? Yeah. Or 1 John four ten when it talks about 
the love that he shows us is this. He sent his son to die for us. There's no better example of that. These guilty sinners rebelling against the holy God. And what does he do? Here, I'll send my son to die in your place. Mm Mm-hmm. So in trying to talk about the love of God, that really is the place that we need to go. You know, say, this is how much he loves you. And so there are people who struggle with this. As I mentioned in the Mm -hmm. message, there's people who struggle with this idea that God would love them. You know, Mm -hmm. and the only answer we really have for them as Christians in witnessing to these people or trying to encourage these people is to say, God loves you this much. He sent his only son, Jesus, to die on the cross for your sins. And if you can't accept that, there's nothing else that I can say to convince you otherwise, right? right? right. And so that's where we trust that the work, that God will do that work and help them to see that, help them to know his love, to experience that right. love. And, right. and I think part of that, though, needs to be understood. I don't personally, I think maybe you mentioned this last week, I don't personally feel the love of God every day. And what I mean by that is like, Oh, every day when I wake up, it just feels like God's giving me a big bear hug, right. you know, and he's rubbing my head like that, a boy, Tim, you know, I really Teddy like, roses. Yeah. yeah, I don't, I don't feel that every day, yeah. but what I do every day is I know that he loves me because he tells mm-hmm. me he does in his, in his word mm-hmm. and he has proven it in Jesus, who I believe in, who I trust mm-hmm. in. And so I, I stake everything in that even when i'm not feeling it and oftentimes when i'm not feeling it is because of my own sin it's because of discipline maybe and i have to be reminded of what you said Mm -hmm. of like hebrews 12 no he does love me because i'm being disciplined Mm -hmm. right now i'm i'm feeling guilt i'm feeling Mm -hmm. all this stuff but it's him disciplining me showing me this stuff it's a good thing that this is happening yeah and we think about like the different aspects of salvation and how god works all of that uh in in our salvation and and part of that work it's amazing to think about that part of the work of of our salvation is god convincing us of his love for us Mm -hmm. and it was several months ago when we were preaching through romans 5 uh 1 through 11 i preached on verse 5 there and it says and hope does not put us to shame because god's love has been poured into our hearts through the holy spirit who has been given to us and so what the part of what the Holy Spirit does is show us and convince us in some way that God does love us. Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. and some it's crazy to think about. Like before, a person will will call out to God and trust in Him. The Holy Spirit shows them His love for them mm-hmm. and convinces them of it. It doesn't convince them that they're worthy of it, but that it is real. Yeah, and mm-hmm. that it is true. Mm-hmm. And. Uh, mm. Yeah, maybe that's a good way you put it, is uh, there's some Christians who feel they have to prove their worthiness of God's love. And that's just, especially as, I think as you grow as a Christian, you're going to realize more and more how unworthy you are, Mm -hmm. you know? And for some, it drives them deeper into maybe this despair that doesn't need to be there. Mm -hmm. And that's why I think it's so important of what Paul said in Ephesians already, is you need to know Him more. Like, grasp these truths so that that's what you're holding on to when your life feels miserable and horrible and you're asking all these questions. I don't feel you, God. I don't. It's not about feeling him. It's about you know him. I mm-hmm. know that this is true. And mm-hmm. that is what I'm staking my claim on mm-hmm. at this moment. Right. Mm-hmm. This is this is who he is. I think, too, you know, love is part of the general characteristic of God's goodness. And all of these things are 
compassion is love or, or mercy is love shown to those who have offended us or who are unworthy of us. And we can be good to people who haven't offended us. We're mm-hmm. supposed to be good to them. But goodness is manifested to all sorts of different objects in different ways. And we use those different words like compassion or mercy to those different objects. Um, I kind of just don't even know where I was going with that in a second. It's a good my point. Mind just, That's a good point. My mind just kind of just went blank. You know what? Oh the, my goodness. <laughs> wow. Let me help Just you. had to get it out. Yeah. I just had to say that apparently. No, I had something. Wow, I don't even You'll remember. Go ahead, go ahead. Somebody on the video heard that and their mind has been blown. Wow. One of the wow. things that I always say, and I, I probably I probably shouldn't, but I say this when I'm preaching, is like, I said it this week, and it's true. If the only thing God does for you is mm. he saves you through Christ, that's enough. We don't right. need to ask for more, right? And uh, I say that because I believe that to be true. The greatest thing he right. could do, but here's just the fact of the matter. God is so good to us that there's so right. much more he does as well on top of that, which is really right. crazy to think. And I don't want right. to put my anchor in those things, right. but I do have, like, per- this is just me personally. I have pretty good general health. I have mm-hmm. friends that God has allowed me to be part of. I have a church family that right. I think loves me, and right. I love them, and I get to have that. I have a family Outside of the church family. Right. You have a great pastoral staff. I have a great I mean, staff. Just, I, mean, I really do. I mean, I have people that I enjoy working with. And I think if we were to interview all the members of the church and say, what has God done for you? You know, they might say, well, not much lately. All right, well, let's break it down. Are you a Christian? Yeah. Okay, there's one. That's a big check. Big check mark right. he's done. Right. Yeah. Do you get to go to a home? How'd you get here? Did you drive in a right. car? Right. Like all these, like we could really start checking these things off and you see, Look at these good things that God continues yeah. to do for us that we right. just we just don't we don't right. deserve it. But right. He loves us and right. He cares well, for us. That's where I think I was going to where love is. Um, love and God's goodness is Him being concerned and taking an interest and in doing something for our welfare. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And in this case, it's in our sinful dead state. Yeah. He is so concerned for our welfare that he then does everything for us. And so I'm just saying that's what love is. I think sometimes you see, you know, you see older couples, couples that have been married a long time and they don't wake up. You know, there's a difference whenever you're a newly married couple or dating and whatever. And then whenever you've been with the same person, I'm not there yet, but like for 50 or 60 years, I'm sure there there are times whenever you recover that youthful um, excitement but also there's there's but there at the same time there's just this steady covenantal commitment that I am fully for your good through thick and thin with all the scars that we're going to get through this together. Yeah. And that's uh God initially whenever he saves us may give us an initial excitement and rightfully so because it's exciting to come to know the Lord Jesus. But then as we go on in that life it may not have the same there will be t- times where we'll have more passion for the Lord than others. Those subjective feelings will ebb and flow. But I do hope at the same time that we'll get into this settled confidence and conviction in His commitment to us. And then likewise, our commitment to Him will grow where we will obey even whenever we may not subjectively feel like it's the most exciting thing to do, but we know we want to do it because he is committed to us and we want to be committed to him. So there's, there is a holy, I'm going to use the word grit that develops in our relationship with him, but it's because we know through all these things, the disciplining, all these ordinary things, he is committed to us in our good 
through the cross, but then all these providential things as well. And maybe that's something that's hard for us in our day and age to fully grasp because commitment just isn't like a big word anymore that you see. You know, you mentioned in a marriage, a lot of marriages, I mean, they don't have that. That commitment isn't there. Or even your job nowadays isn't very committed to you and you might not be very committed to it. Like you just don't see that a lot anymore. My mind goes to sports. Like in the sports world, you just don't, you don't see somebody join a team and like, this is my team and I'm going to be on this team forever. Right. No, we bounce, they bounce around. There is no commitment in a lot of things that we see or commitment to nation. You know, where uh, go back a long time ago, they had commitment to their tribe mm-hmm. and they were willing to die for their tribe because I'm committed to this. This mm-hmm. is where I was born. This is my this is my people or mm-hmm. whatever. This is where I'm placed. And you don't you don't really have that uh, anymore. And so it's hard for us to grasp a God who's committed to us mm-hmm. regardless, regardless. Of and why? Because we are his. Right. You know, right. and right. And we're so quick to abandon him, but yet he's he's not that he's not right. that way. He's faithful. Yeah, he is he is faithful and true. Well, something I want to hit on real quick, and I know we're like twenty some minutes into this, is uh, a phrase that really is important to grasp, uh, really in all of scripture, but but here, because it says, um, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. This phrase, with Christ or in Christ, we will see it in other places. It was all through chapter 1. It happened in chapter 1 a bunch. But it happens here as well. So, alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up with Him, and seated us with Him in the heavenly places, in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness towards us, again, in Christ Jesus. Jesus. This phrase, in Christ Jesus, or you might hear it being said as our union with Christ, is a very important theological thing to grasp and to understand what is happening there. What is what is happening in this when the Bible tells us, in Christ Jesus? I want you guys to talk about this for us, but when you talk about being a Christian, we, we have to understand it is all central to Christ. It's all central to this man, Jesus. We can't separate our faith from him. And it's it's because of phrases like this. You've been made alive together in Christ. And so trying to grasp this in Christ union. There's I would encourage people, there's a lot of literature out there on union with Christ. Mm-hmm. What that means. It's it's one of the it's one of the things that I would say when you start to study it, you're going to find it is hard to grasp the fullness of it because it doesn't make sense in our mind logically. Um, the examples I would use is one that I tried to use. It doesn't make sense to me. I know we talk about it a lot, but it doesn't make sense in my mind. Husband and wife, the two become one flesh. Uh, I'm here. Amanda's not. Mm-hmm. But yet we're one flesh. But she's, she's at work doing her thing. I'm at work here. Mm. But yet the Bible sees it as one flesh. How does that make sense? Because logically it doesn't to me. And so this union with Christ is kind of the same way. It's hard for me to wrap my head around, but we need to try to wrap our head around it to understand the ramifications of it. Before I talk anything about it beyond what I said Sunday, you guys want to chime in at all about the union of Christ, the importance of it, and do it succinct because we have a little bit of time to grasp this big 
there's logical a, term. There's a passage in Romans 6 that I think uh, gets at union with Christ in pretty explicit terms. Mm-hmm. Uh, Romans 6, starting in verse 5. Yeah. Just says, For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So that you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. And, uh, I mean, he goes on and on uh, about this. But, I mean, there he very explicitly refers that to the fact that we have been united to Christ in his death and we have been united to Christ in his resurrection so that when Christ died our old selves died with him mm-hmm. uh, in that sense and so he Paul's using that in this conversation to uh, get at that we have died to sin we are no longer to live in sin because we've died to that but we've also been united to Christ in his resurrection Mm-hmm. to live a new life where we are what he'll say then later is that we are to be slaves of righteousness mm-hmm. not slaves of sin and so it's just the the full work of of salvation of like what christ has done on our behalf there is in a, a spiritual reality way that we have been united to that and that has been uh given to us on our account and like you said it's mm-hmm. very it's hard to grasp and understand but it's mm-hmm. it's in a sense how how the work of Christ is applied to us in, mm. in some way. Um, that's a mm. that's my succinct answer. That's good, now, brother. Correct my errors. So you just read Romans six. Yeah. All right. Good job. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I'm good. That was no, really that was good. good. Yeah, that was, that was really good. good. Yeah. I mean, it's it's interesting. Like once you once you study the the the, the idea of being in Christ, you begin to see it all over Scripture. Yeah. 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 It's everywhere. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. a lot more. Actually, uh, we did this was part of our visual theology youth study um, that I was doing before our apologetic study, and the primary way that Christians are described in the New Testament mm. is in Christ. Yeah. That's how we are to that's how we are primarily mm-hmm. described mm-hmm. in the New Testament. If you want to know what does it mean to be a Christian, it means that you're in yeah. Christ. Huh. So there's a few unions in scripture that I can think of off the top of my head that are described kind of in this way. Our union with Christ, like I said our union with our spouse. There's also a union between Christ and the church, so not just like an individual, not just me and Christ, but right. Christ and his body, mm-hmm. the church that we talk about. We see the hypostatic union of Jesus being fully God and fully man. How is that union taking place? How is that functioning to where that kind of baffles our mind? There might be one that I'm missing. These are just UAW. <laughs> that union. Yeah. That's one. That's a union. Yeah. I think, I, think uh, I mean, like something that we have a hard time understanding is like, how is it that the Holy Spirit dwells within us? Mm-hmm. Like, what exactly is that like? What's the right. nature mm-hmm. of that mm-hmm. relationship? But I don't think the word union is used like willy-nilly in Scripture. There's like there's something big happening when it's talking about this union, but oftentimes we have a hard time really <laughs> grasping what's going on there. But it doesn't make it untrue, and it doesn't make it unworthy of us trying to dive in to understand it, to understand mm-hmm. it more. And this is this is one of those uh, of our union with Christ and. I'm, when I'm talking about this here in this passage, and maybe Paul's not specifically doing that, 
But I'm talking about on an individual basis. Because he's going to start going into, in chapter 2, more of our union with Christ as the church as well. We're going to see that see that more. And then our union together as believers, uh, which is another union. Mm-hmm. Um, but like you had talked about, when we talk about salvation, there's a lot of words that go into salvation that you could start to, die, to try to pick apart. Regeneration, redemption, mm-hmm. propitiation, atonement. Like we can start talking about these words individually, and we should, and we should know what they're getting at. But we also have to then step back and look at it from the ten thousand feet up view to say, "But this is salvation. This is what God is doing in uniting us to Himself mm-hmm. through in Christ, in Christ, uh, all in Christ." And so it can become hard to, yeah, fully talk about. You know, mm-hmm. okay. what, what yeah, about? No, I think got? that's. I think. Um, yeah, no, I think that what's been said is really good. I think, um, like Scott said, union with Christ is everywhere. In the Once you notice it, you'll start seeing this principle throughout the whole Bible. And also, I appreciate what Scott said because he pointed out that the uh, New Testament primary description of Christians is those who are in Christ. I think the word Christian is only used a handful of times. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's not a bad word to no, describe right, us, right. Uh-huh. but it is interesting. It seems like... That was really understood as being a term that outsiders used to describe the church. That's the Christ people, mm-hmm. the, 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 the Christ party. Um, but people inside the church understood themselves as being saints, um, which maybe sometimes because of the Mormons we don't, or, or the Catholic Church, yeah. we don't use that term very often to describe ourselves. Uh-huh. But that's a term to the saints, yeah. the holy ones yeah. in Christ. Um, mm-hmm. I think uh, the marriage analogy is helpful um, because I think one of the things that you see here is that whenever we think about our salvation, uh, one of the tendencies can be is that Jesus did this, and here's the benefits. And one of the things that can happen is is we here's his death and resurrection, but we just preach the benefits. We just preach forgiveness. We just preach reconciliation, all that stuff. But I really have nothing to do with over here. And for Paul... The benefits of Christ are inseparable from his work in time and space. They're together. They're distinct, but they're together. And so for whenever we're, whenever we're thinking about our salvation, the temptation can be as if we're just preaching benefits. It becomes very individualistic, and all it is is me getting benefits. Paul understands salvation as uniting us to the person of Christ then we get the benefits with Christ as well. So our salvation is we always are to think of ourselves as a corporate entity. One of the, I think maybe you can think about this in marriage as well as whenever you file your taxes. I file my taxes with my wife. I'm the head tax filer, but she's on the form as well. We file together mm-hmm. as a married couple. We're a corporate entity. And whatever happens, if we're in debt we're in debt together. We're paying our taxes together because we're filing together. Because in the government's eyes, even though we're two distinct people, we're one corporate entity. Our household and everybody on that tax filing form, my children, my you know everything is there. And whenever we think about our salvation, that's the way salvation works. Is you're now a corporate entity with Christ. So that whenever Jesus died on that cross, even though you weren't there on the cross... You were there because you are now, by being believing in him, receiving him, you're now united to him. So you're a corporate entity in God's eyes with Jesus. 
So whenever he rose, you rose, mm -hmm. not because you were there, but because you're a corporate mm -hmm. entity. You're mm -hmm. united to him. You're inseparable <clears throat> from him so that whatever he did, you did because of this covenant, this union. And so therefore, we get to participate in the full benefits um, at the end of days when he comes to raise us up because we have done it all in him. So I think that's a a way that union with Christ functions is we're, we're a corporate entity. In God's eyes, we're one thing. And um, uh, Luther has his uh, book he calls, it's called The Freedom of, of a Christian. And he uses this analogy that we're married to Christ. And imagine if a guy took married, like you said, the worst person in the world. Uh, and he says, but she t he takes all of her sin and she gets all of his righteousness. They share in this corporate entity now because they're married they share the blessings and the curses together mm. but the amazing thing is is now that we're married to christ we get to come through the other side mm -hmm. and we're raised we've yeah. defeated death and so i think thinking about our salvation and our whole life now in christ means my salvation is i can't i'm inseparable now from him I'm now inseparable from the Father because I'm in Him yeah. and from the Holy Spirit and from the church. Yeah, I think of another illustration, uh, less official maybe, is of like, you know, there's those kids in, in the incoming class of freshmen into high school of like, but they had older siblings that have already been through school and worked up a great reputation with teachers and the administration and mm -hmm. other students. And so it's like you have this little freshman, but they've got a great reputation already right. because of Big Brother. You know, yeah. and of like, uh, and so everybody treats him well. Everybody, he gets all these benefits, mm. but it's not just because of who he is. It's because of right. the reputation of the one he's attached to. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. and so he gets special, even special treatment. I mean, yeah. regardless of how we felt about those people in high school, because <laughs> I wasn't one of them. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it's like they're treated differently. They're given mm. those benefits because of the way that they are united <laughs> to this, yeah. this yeah. other one. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, that's just what I was thinking. That's good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the benefit of knowing that, uh, you talk about benefits, but there actually is a benefit to understanding this in Christ because it does help us in times of struggle. Yeah. Uh, when we sin, you know, when we start to doubt maybe some things, knowing this truth of what it means to be in Christ, knowing that when Christ lived his perfect life, the Father saw me in that, sees me in that, right? His death, his resurrection, sees me in those things, helps me to get out of that, slew of despair when yeah. when I'm in my sin because I know this to be true that God doesn't see me in my sin he sees me in Christ right I'm spotless right that's that's the thing is every time Satan tempts us well, well you don't really um you don't you you don't, you've not perfectly obeyed God well yeah I did actually mm -hmm. look at the look at what Jesus did in the wilderness I did it all yeah. Not me personally, but my Savior did. Yeah, and I'm, I'm an in entity him. with him. Yeah. I'm in him. You've not paid your debt to sin. Well, yeah, I did 2,000 years ago. Yeah. In him. In he him. did it for me mm -hmm. because I'm married to him. Yeah. You know, and, which, which leads to what we're going to get to, though, in 8 through 10. Yeah. That's why we can't boast. Right. I mean, we, there is right. no boasting on our part, but right. I can boast in him right. and stand before, even, before Satan right. and say, right. I boast in him. I'm right. in him. And, and the person of Christ is the gift to us. Salvation is the gift. But then when you read the Gospels, the whole life of Jesus and every single act that he did is a gift to you as well. Yeah. Every single act, every single miracle is for me and for the church. Yeah. 
<laughs> I mean, and that's where, um, you know, whenever Satan tempts us to despair and shows us of the guilt within, we look and see him there. Um, and that's why, that's the way to read the Gospels. If you're just reading the Gospels and thinking, oh, look what Jesus did, look what Jesus did. And that's true, Jesus did that, but the Gospel, the apostles are consistently saying, and this is what this means for you. Yeah. This is how you need to read those Gospels. Mm-hmm. It was all for you yeah. and for your salvation. Yeah, that's good. I thought of an illustration of mercy. Okay. Oh, sorry. So, that was a long time ago. It was, but <laughs> I was awesome. like, man, this is bothering it me that I can't think of it. it did, no, I've, I've had it for a while. Oh, so I've just okay. been waiting for the right awesome. moment. Well, we're going to close with it, so it's going to be a doozy. <laughs> All right. It's going to be awesome because it's from Star Wars. Oh, okay. oh, and we got to go. <laughs> Stop in, 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 in Star Wars, The Rise of Skywalker, so the last Star Wars movie that they made, uh, when Rey is fighting Kylo Ren on the Death Star that's like down in the ocean, and he gets injured. And you would think that she would like end it and leave him there, but she doesn't. In mercy, she lets him live. Matt, can you put a tag that says like <laughs> at the 39 minutes Star Wars is gonna get brought up so people know? When she killed him. She didn't. She, she stabs him through with a lightsaber. No, he's not dead. He's not. He's not dead. The wounds she let of him a live. faithful friend. Because she healed yeah. him. Anyways, let's move on. You don't remember the movie, obviously. Hey, tomorrow is May the 4th as well. You guys should do something for that. Like, bring lunch in. Make sure it's good. Make sure it's good. Anyways, all right. We ended it. That was worth it, right? That was, yeah, that was worth it. All right. right. Well. It's good, Scott. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you for being with us. Uh, (laughs) Sorry it ended on that note. (laughs) (laughs) I try to make up for it. I try to make up. (laughs) No, I do do thank you for watching and uh, hope you have a blessed week. God bless.